this weekend is the weekend after Thanksgiving, which means one thing in our culture, and what does that mean? It means shopping, 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 and more shopping. And if you didn't get all your shopping done, and if you didn't get the deals that you were hoping that you would get on Black Friday, well, guess what? Cyber Monday's tomorrow. And there's a whole new set of deals coming out, so you can do more shopping, shopping, and shopping. Now, for me, I've never really gotten into the Black Friday and Cyber Monday craze. And it is a craze. I mean, if you've been to some of those stores, you know how crazy this is. But a couple years ago, I got an ad in the mail. And, you know, I was kind of thumbing through the mail, and they send all those little ads. And I was looking at them, and I saw a deal for Black Friday that I just could not refuse. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I knew I was going to get this. What it was is it was a deal for a six-foot pre-lit Christmas tree. And the store that was selling these Christmas trees was the 99 cent store. And the deal was the first 99 people in line on Black Friday of the store would get a ticket for a 99 cent six-foot pre-lit Christmas tree. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm sold. I'm going to get up early. You know, everybody else is going to like Home Depot and Best Buy and getting TVs that are like 50% off. I'm getting a Christmas tree that's like 97% off, okay? I was like, this is the best deal in town. And part of the reason I did it was kind of the irony of the 99 cent store on Black Friday. I mean, it's already the cheapest store in town, but I did it. I got my Christmas tree. And we actually, uh, it's kind of a Charlie Brown tree. Um, so it's not our regular tree, I'll admit, but um, it's in the kids' room so they can celebrate Christmas while they sleep, I guess. But um, According to Finder.com, 86% of Americans plan to participate, to participate in Black Friday or Cyber Monday. The average person is planning, just over this weekend, the average person is planning on spending almost $400, $397, the average person. If you break it up by uh, the generations, this is how the generations are going to spend. Baby boomers are expected to spend the most, $626. Gen X, 459, and Millennials, 252. Now, this makes perfect sense to me because I am a millennial, and my parents are baby boomers, and my in-laws are baby boomers, and I'm hoping that part of that 626 that they spend is on my kids, their grandkids. So this makes perfect sense to me how there's such a disparity in the generational spending, because I'm hoping the grandparents spend a lot of money on the kids. During the Christmas season, so that's just Black Friday and Cyber Monday. During the Christmas season, it's expected that American consumers will spend around $1 trillion on holiday shopping. $1 trillion, that is crazy. Now for many, this is what, this is what the Christmas season has become. It's a season of spending and consuming at record rates. Every year it goes up. And it's easy, in all this spending and consuming in the busyness of the season, it's easy to miss the real wonder of Christmas. In the book of John, one of the biographies about Jesus' life in the Bible, this is a verse that describes what happened that first Christmas. John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. This is the first Christmas. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is what happened that first Christmas. This is really why we're celebrating. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Then Jesus, he claimed this of himself. He said this in the same book of John. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
This is, this is really the reason for Christmas. This is what we're supposed to be celebrating. The light of the world has come. And just like our physical bodies need the light and the heat from the earth's sun, it's the same with our souls. Without the light of Jesus, the unique light that he brings, our souls, they get sickly and they get weak and they die. But then when a person places their faith in Jesus, what the Bible teaches is when they place their faith in Jesus, he brings new life into their soul. He brings them back to life on the inside. And this life-changing light that Jesus brings, it can only be experienced by those who have decided to follow him. That's why Jesus says, he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus shines his light, the light that we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus shines his light on those who have decided to follow him. Again, at Christmas, we're celebrating because the light of the world has come to earth. Now, early Christians understood this. They understood the connection between Jesus' birth and the light of the world. And that's actually one of the reasons they selected December 25th. See, we don't know the exact date that Jesus was born, but Christians decided on a date to remember this because they said, this is so significant, we want a date to celebrate it. And December 25th is actually a date on the Roman calendar that recognized the winter solstice, the day with the least amount of light. It was also the day on the Roman calendar where they celebrated their sun god, and so the, the Romans, they would celebrate their sun god kind of in an attempt of, okay, on this, this day with the least amount of light, let's celebrate the sun god and kind of coax him to come back, coax the light to come back. And Christians said, you know what, we're not celebrating the sun god, we're going to celebrate a far more powerful light. We're going to celebrate the one who created the earth's sun. They said the light of the world has come. So they had a special mass. They called it Christ's mass, Christmas to celebrate that the light of the world had come. And then Christians decided it wasn't just enough to have this day to recognize that the light of the world has come. They said, we need a whole season. So they, they set up this Advent season. The word Advent means to come or to arrive. And so through the years, what Christians have done is they've used the Advent season to prepare themselves to celebrate the reality, to, rem- to remember the reality that the light of the world has come. And so for us, every year when this comes up, we're, we're given an opportunity to prepare to celebrate Christ's birth and remember the light of the world has come. Now for you and me, in our world, the beginning of this Advent season is marked by Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And those two days set off this just onslaught of hyper-consumption and busyness. We fill our seasons with with travel and work parties and gatherings and spending and more spending and traditions. And it's like, I mean, my wife and I sat down and mapped out our December, and already it's like we have something almost every single night. It's like, where in the world did the month go? But this is what the season has become. It's just all about busyness and all about consuming. And as we consider kind of the origin of the season and remembering that Jesus is the light of the world, And then comparing that with what the season has become, an important question that we need to ask ourselves is, does the way we spend our time, our money, and our energy during Christmas reflect our belief that Jesus is the light of the world? Does Advent, does this season leading up to Christmas, does it really prepare our hearts to worship Christ as King? And just, just think for a moment about your experience. I mean, how many years... Have you missed the wonder of God's miraculous birth 
amidst the busyness and the consumption and the selfishness that so often marks this season. A whole season intended to focus on the greatest gift ever given often leaves us broke and in more debt, tired, lonely, and disappointed. That's why we're calling this the Advent Conspiracy. Because we recognize that if we're really going to celebrate Advent, if we're really going to prepare our hearts for Christmas, there needs to be a conspiracy against the way things are. A conspiracy is a counter plan. It's something that happens behind the scenes and works against the way things are. And this is really what this series is our attempt to do. Our attempt is to collectively gather for this to be explained from the stage and then for us to go into our homes and talk about these things and figure out, okay, how can we recapture Christmas? a season that is so often marked by pursuing what we want and putting our selfishness first or just consuming for the, for the sake of consuming or just being busy, so often it's marked by that. How can we take it back and remember that, that Christ, the light of the world, has come? So that's our goal in this Advent conspiracy, and that's what we're going to be diving into for the next few weeks. How can we come up with a counter plan to work against the way things are and remember that Jesus is the light of the world? So today, what I'm going to do with the time remaining is I want, to, I want to give you two steps, two things that you can do this Christmas to begin to see Christ as the light of the world, and then we'll explain this more in the coming weeks. The first thing you can do, first step, is be a seeker. This Christmas season, be a seeker. If you want to see Jesus as the light of the world, be a seeker. Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, this is probably familiar to you because Jesus repeats this several times. And what he's describing here is he's describing the approach God has in a relationship with us. He's saying, hey, if you want to find, you have to seek. If the door is going to open, you've got to knock on the door. If you want a relationship, you have to ask for it. And God could come. He does have the power to come and just overwhelm us and force us to follow him. But then we would have no choice in the matter. And because he respects our freedom and he wants a a real relationship with us, not just a fake one that's coerced, because he wants a real relationship, he's going to respect our choice. He's not just going to come and force us. He's not going to come and just flood our lives with light and give us no choice. A couple weeks ago, my three-year-old son, Cohen, he came into our room in the middle of the night and flipped the lights on. And as soon as he turned the lights on, my wife and I instantly woke up. And I was in the middle of one of those, you know, one of those weird dreams where it's like people from your childhood, and then you're at, you're at some location you haven't been at for like 20 years, and you're kind of confused as it is. And all of a sudden in the dream, it just got really, really bright, and I woke up. Now, did I want to be awake? No, I, w- I wanted to be asleep. Did I choose to be interrupted? No, I didn't choose that. I mean, that that was forced on me when Cohen walked in the room and flipped the lights on. God could do that to you and me. He could show up unannounced and just, boom, flip the lights on and force us to follow him. But again, he respects our freedom. He respects our choice. That's why the verse says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. This is how God interacts with us. He allows us to choose. He's not just going to force himself. You know, and you see this in the Christmas story. You just consider Jesus' entrance into the world. When he's born, his arrival is very inconspicuous. 
I mean, he showed up on this planet in a way that wasn't going to force anybody to follow him. You know, if you know the story, and we've all heard the story in the songs, or we see movies that involve the story, you know, you've heard about the shepherds. And the shepherds, they saw this amazing display by the angels. But if you think about where that happened, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't in the middle of the city. It wasn't in Jerusalem, kind of, kind of the center of the religious hub at the time. It was to a handful of shepherds in the middle of the countryside in the middle of the night. There's only a few people that saw it. And if you know anything about the shepherds, you know that the shepherds, they were kind of the, the sketchy fringe characters in that society. You know, people already kind of looked at them with suspect because they had this weird job and they hung out with the sheep all the time and they were kind of isolated. So the shepherds come in and they're like, you guys will never believe what we saw. And they, they tell everybody this amazing story and people were amazed. They were like, wow, that's a great story. But there's no indication that anybody decided to follow Jesus as a result of the story. Again, I mean, his, his arrival on earth, even, yeah, there's this light show for the, for the shepherds, but, I mean, it was very inconspicuous. It wasn't this grand entrance that you would expect from a king. You know, and then if you look at the classic nativity, you know, there's only a few people there who had power and influence, and those were the wise men. But, again, the, if you know the history, the wise men, they weren't actually there the night that Jesus was born. They showed up two years later. Now, why were they two years late to Jesus' birth? Why weren't they there with the shepherds and the rest? The reason is, is the, the wise men are from a nation that was east of Israel, probably one of the nations that in, in their history had come in and conquered Israel at one point. And when this country came in and conquered Israel, they took a lot of the Israelites back to their nation as slaves and servants. And these Israelites that went back to these countries, they took copies of their scripture so they could continue to follow God. And these wise men, hundreds of years later, these wise men, they find these books and they start studying these scriptures. They start reading about this king that's supposed to come, this Messiah, all these prophecies about this Messiah that's going to come, God's going to come and save his people. Then they see this star that lines up with these prophecies that they've been reading through, and then they go on this two-year journey to uncover the truth. The wise men are there to celebrate Christ because they were seekers. They started to examine the facts, add up the evidence, and then they went in search of this king. And this is really important for you and I to realize. If you want to see the light, you have to decide you really want the truth and you're willing to seek after it. If you want to see the light, you have to really want to see the truth. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Be a seeker. It's something that is increasingly amazing to me is how God through history has lined out all kinds of evidence. I mean, if you just think about what the Bible is, the Bible, it's, it's not a book that was just written by one individual in isolation. It's, a, it's actually a collection of books, 66 books. These books are written over 1,500 years. I mean, these are, these are, these are historical facts that we can go back and verify. 1,500 years, 40 different authors, multiple languages, three continents, and in kind of the first part of the Bible, the first 39 books, which is referred to as the Old Testament, you have all these prophecies and promises about God's going to come and save his people. This Messiah is going to come. And all these statements about here's how you're going to know it's the Messiah. Here's how you're going to identify him. And these guys that are writing this, they're not like coworkers. They can't just be like, hey, let's meet at lunch and kind of like collaborate our stories to make sure we write the same thing. Often they didn't know each other. 
They couldn't compare what they were writing to something else that somebody else had written because they're in different regions. So you start to add all this up and you realize that in order for all this to get written down hundreds of years and then Jesus show up on the scene, I mean, there's, there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfills from the Old Testament. I mean, God, it was like God is just leaving his fingerprint again and again through history for the seeker to find. And just in, in the book of Matthew, let's take Matthew, for instance. <clears throat> in the book of Matthew, in, in chapter 2, there's four references to places Jesus lived. He's born in Bethlehem, he moves to Egypt, then he goes to Galilee, and he settles in Nazareth. Four locations. All four of those are mentioned in the first part of the Bible in prophecies. Separate prophecies, not just at one time, separate prophecies. All four of those, if you think about it, in that period of time, people didn't move around a lot. So if you were born in one place, you were probably going to stay there. So for Jesus to move from Bethlehem to Egypt, that's an international move. That was very rare in that period of time. So all of this is given there, and Jesus fulfills all these prophecies. So all this is given there so that the seeker could spend time examining the facts and saying, okay, so we're looking for somebody that was born here, then they moved over here, then they went up to this region, and then they settled here. That's just four of over 300. Again and again, God is making it obvious. But obvious to who? obvious to the seeker. The seeker is the one who spends the time examining the facts, figuring out, is this who Jesus claims to be? Is this true about him? So this Advent season, something I encourage you to do, if you're going to see the light, realize who Jesus is, spend time considering the evidence. Now, for some of you, this might be the first time you've ever done this. That's actually really exciting. Use this season. Instead of just getting, getting busy and caught up in all the things that we usually do, Set aside time this season to really examine the facts. Is this true? For some of you, you were born into families that every Christmas, I mean, you know the story backwards and forwards and all kinds of obscure details about the Christmas story. I would encourage you to go back. And, it, you know, sometimes when we hear the story so much, we kind of we go blind to its impact. We kind of become a little numb to it and it doesn't affect us. Ask God to give you a renewed sense of awe at how amazing this all is. Amazing that he would come to earth as Jesus and then live the life that he lived so that he could give his life for us. Ask God, God, give me a renewed sense of awe and wonder at what you did that first Christmas. And something else I would encourage you to do is not just be a seeker. I would encourage you to invite others to join you in the search. I have a friend, and he is in search of the best taco in Huntington Beach. So he goes around to different taco places, and I know about this search because he's told me about it, and he's invited me to go with him. And honestly, I'd never really thought about doing this, and then when he was telling me about it, I was like, man, that's a great idea. What other food items could we go in search of? And I know other people that have told me because they've gone with him in this search. You know, if you think about it, there's a lot of reasons people aren't searching for facts about who Jesus is. There's a lot of reasons. But one big reason is nobody's invited them to join them in the search. Nobody said, hey, you want to you wanna come with me? You want to spend this season kind of going back and figuring out why do we celebrate this way and you know, what's kind of the origin of this whole story? Nobody's ever invited them. So maybe it's somebody in your Pray for Five. Maybe, maybe you're doing the Pray for Five thing. Maybe it's somebody that you're praying for who you could say, hey, do you want to spend some time talking more about why I believe this stuff, why I celebrate this way? See if they want to join you. You know, as parents, my wife and I, we get to include our kids in this. We get to include our kids in this thing at Christmas. Instead of Christmas just being about 
all the usual thing that it's about, we get to say, okay, as a family, let's go back and let's read through the stories and let's add it all up so that you kids can see why your mom and I have decided to put our faith in Jesus. We have the opportunity not only to be seekers ourselves, but to include others in seeking. So be a seeker. But there's another step. The other step is be a worshiper. See, the only logical conclusion to being a seeker is when you find the truth that you're looking for, the only logical conclusion is to worship. This is what the wise men did. It says this in Matthew 2. It says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They had been seeking, and when they found what they were seeking, they bowed down and they worshipped him. They acknowledged that this is all about him. He's the most important part. It's not about us. It's all about Christ. That's really what Christmas is about. It's about us individually acknowledging that it's not about us. It's about him. But we've got to recognize that this is a real challenge because at this time of year, there are a lot of alternatives to direct our worship at. There are a lot of other things that we could say the most important part of this Christmas season is fill in the blank. And what's most often is we say the most important part of the Christmas season is ourselves. And I I ran into this pretty hard one of the first Christmases after we had kids. What happened was is we're sitting down as a family, we're the extended family, we've got the tree set up and there's all the gifts under the tree and we decided we're going to open the presents in an orderly fashion. So we kind of divide them all up Everybody gets their stack of presents next to them. And as I'm comparing the size of my stack of presents with a few other stacks of presents in the room, that's when I realized something's not right. Something's not right. My stack of gifts is not as big as some of the other people in the room's stack of gifts. And it wasn't just my kids' stack. I mean, if if theirs is bigger, okay. But when other people's, other family members, I was like, wait a second. And then I started opening the gifts some of them were really thoughtful, and they really thought of me and gave me what I wanted. But I'm sure some of you other parents have re- experienced this. More than one gift addressed to me, it really wasn't to me. It was to the family or to my kids by way of me. Like, like a stroller. Like, okay, <laughs> does the family need a stroller? Yeah, but what about me? What about me? I mean, that's, that is all I could think. And this, this season, I mean, we could do this in a million different ways. I mean, as a, as a country, the American consumer is going to spend a trillion dollars. And if you look at what we spend on, a lot of it's just spending for spending's sake. I mean, a lot, even the commercials. I saw this commercial for a car the other day, and they weren't even acting like, hey, get somebody else to buy you this car. It was like, buy this car and gift it to yourself. I mean, it's like, that's what so much of it is. I mean, a lot of our spending is just on ourselves. You know, another way that we make it all about us is, in our favorite traditions. And we, we all have our favorite traditions. I have my own. I, I have some that I really like. Some are really symbolic. There's meaning behind it. You know, there's nostalgia. We've been doing it for our whole life. But sometimes our favorite traditions become so important to us, and they have to be done just right, that we lose any flexibility to, ye- to say yes to any new opportunities that God might bring our way. We're so busy making sure that these traditions happen the way we want them to happen that we completely overlook the people that God has around us who he wants us to love. You know, and if you've experienced this, which I've experienced this, and I'm assuming most of us have, there is a fair amount of family conflict at this time of year around favorite traditions. Who's going to do what? And when are we going to do it? And who's going to host? And on and on down the list. I mean, there's, there's a fair amount of conflict. 
And if you boil it down, and again, I, I, I am a, I've experienced this, so I'm part of this too. If you boil it down, a lot of the time it comes down to a room of adults fighting over something, and really they're saying, it's about me. See, again, this, this season is about preparing our hearts to worship Christ, but instead of preparing our hearts to worship Christ, often we spend this season just saying, it's about me. And Advent is intended to help us remember, oh yeah, it's not about me. That's why it's in a conspiracy. It's an Advent conspiracy. It's a counterplan to help us remember, oh yeah, it's not about me. It's about him. And I think there's something really important for worship that we can learn from the wise men. Back to Matthew 2, verse 11, it says this. It says, they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then it adds, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They opened their treasures, stuff that was tangible and real and valuable to them. We often overlook the kind of the symbolism behind these different gifts. We know what gold is. We all want gold. Gold, earlier this week, I looked it up just to see. Gold was selling for $1,456 per ounce. We wouldn't turn that gift down. But what about frankincense and myrrh? I mean, we really don't know what those are. We don't know what they symbolize. But both of them, it's pretty interesting. Both of them are used in incenses and perfume. That, that in that period of time, incense and perfume, perfume, those were marks of status. They were really expensive. So if you had a lot of incense and perfume, you must be worth a lot of money. So it was kind of a status thing. Then they were also used in kind of a medicinal way. They were used to treat sores or wounds. Without modern medicine, I mean, if you, if you got a scrape or an injury, you know, infection could set in and that could, that could be your life. You could die of that pretty easily. So these were really, I mean, there was security in having these things. So for most people, they would say, oh, there's no way I'm going to open up my treasures. I mean, my, my money and my status and my security, no, there's no way I'm parting with that. But for the wise men, there was, I mean, for them, there was no other logical conclusion that, hey, we've done the search, we've concluded that Jesus is, is God in flesh, there was no other option to them. It didn't make sense to do anything other than say, okay, so we're going to bring our best. We're going to open our treasures and give to him. And for you and me, at this time of year, that's so often about, well, how, what can I get? You know, when you and I, when we say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give something. I'm going to give something that's valuable to me back to God. When you and I do this, it's, we're, we're helping our heart say, we're helping our heart remember, it's not about me. It's about him. And again, that's, that's why we're doing this whole thing. That's why we're diving into this series. So again, instead of being individuals who go through this season just saying, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me, we can be individuals who, who say from our hearts, it's not about me, it's about him. The light of the world has come. That's why I'm celebrating. I'm not doing this stuff just because it's my favorite or because it's fun or I've done it my whole life or it makes me feel good. You know, I'm, I'm approaching this season from the perspective of this is about him. That's our goal. That's what we're after. So this Advent season, as we explore this more in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about what does this look like? How can we, practically, how can we worship Christ with our time, with our money, and with our energy? But I would really encourage you to start today and decide, okay, this season I'm going to be a seeker. I'm going to go back through the stories and ask for God to give me a re renewed sense of awe, and I'm going to be a worshiper this season. This season I'm going to approach it and work to make it not about me, but to remember that it's about him.
God, our hope this season is that you remember that Jesus is the light of the world and that the way that you approach it really reflects that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your plan to send your son. And Jesus, I thank you for your decision to be a part of the Father's plan and to obey and come and to show up in a vulnerable form in order to give your life so that we could be saved. I pray that this Christmas that you would help us to remember that you are the light of the world and I pray that we would recapture the awe and the wonder that the light of the world has come. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.